good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. This is your host, C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I am speaking to you from Southern California. Hey, this is Stephen G. Fullwood. I'm the co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project, and I'm coming to you today from Harlem, and it's um, cold out. (laughs) Hey, I'm Seth Rodney. I am a senior editor at the Hyperallergic blog, and I am speaking to you from the South Bronx today, and I was on time today. <laughs> well, I just, you know, I was just shivved by one of the, the co hosts since I was not on time. I was very late today. Uh, um, this is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud and together. Um, and we're continuing our. Uh, conversation about communities uh, today. And we were, last time we talked about aspirational communities and also communities that we wish we were not a part of. We spent a good deal of time on that. So we thought we would uh, kind of return to, since it's such a fruitful conversation, return to the conversation around um, aspirational communities, communities that we want to be a part of or that we um, belong to in, in an ideal sense. Um, Stephen, Seth, do you guys want to jump in and and sort of take it away? Um, Seth, or I could... Well, I actually have a couple of questions for you guys, because knowing you both, I'm interested in this. Stephen, I know that you love being a part of the black community. I know that that's deeply important to you, Mm -hmm. and you you revel in it, you celebrate Mm -hmm. it, you celebrate Mm -hmm. your blackness, you celebrate black people. Mm -hmm. And so this is a slightly touchy question, um, mm-hmm. But, you know, in among black folks, there's a real um, profound uh, divide uh, between folks who are light skin and folks who are dark skin. Oh, yeah. Um, right. And, they're, and they're, they're, sort of, they're sort of echelons of status, right, that are, co- that are correlated with the lightness of one skin mm-hmm. because, because of a proximity to whiteness, essentially. Right. And historically... Uh, 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 not implied, but historically formed association with whiteness. Was there ever a point in your life, and I, I would imagine if it, if there was, it would be when you were younger, much younger, where you felt like you weren't really part of the black community around you, or you felt somewhat alienated from it, and was that? correlated with your perceived sense of self vis-a-vis the color of your skin? Mm, very, very great question. question. Great uh, question. Very good question. I'll, I'll be succinct, or I hope to be succinct, but it's a, it's a larger, I think I have a much larger <laughs> a book in me about that. Um, mm. So uh, at the base of it, my answer is that it's a nuance. It's pretty nuanced. In okay. the sense that, so I, grew, I was born in 1966. There are five children in our family. My mother, um, great-grandfather was listed as mulatto and sometimes mm-hmm. listed as non-white mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes mm-hmm. listed as Negro in the, mm-hmm. um, the, uh, the what is it, uh, in the census record. In um, the census, yeah. The woman he married, though, Carrie, his name is, um, J- uh, sorry, Charlie, 
the woman he married, it's, her name is Carrie. So she actually is listed as white and was born in Indiana. They were married mm-hmm. in Tennessee and came to Ohio. Mm-hmm. And so from that union, you could see the replication of different shades in our family in terms of skin mm-hmm. color. So mm-hmm. no one was solidly brown, but there were browns to my color, essentially. Mm-hmm. Of the five, my five siblings, I'm the lightest in the family, and I'm the first mm-hmm. boy, and I'm the middle child. And growing up, I would watch how, well, my experience was this. So I'm going to keep it on the body for a moment. It was called everything you could call a person of this complexion. So it was light, bright, damn near white, <laughs> um, white boy. What I love, though, is I've written some of this down. I need to short or shore it up and make it even more creative. But there was a guy named Roger in our community who was about your shade. And he, mm-hmm. Roger was like maybe four or five years older than No, maybe two years older than me because I was like maybe mm-hmm. 11 or 12. I would sit mm-hmm. on my porch and I see mm-hmm. the camera behind my head and me mm-hmm. just sitting on the porch. And Roger would ride up and, da- up and down our street on his um, 10 speed and go, white boy, ha, 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 ha. Turn around, Damn. come back, and do it again and again <laughs> until he either got tired or I got tired, right? Yeah. <laughs> but um, but I think that um, I never felt alienated from the black community because I grew up in a black community with similar mm-hmm. folks. Meaning that there were some families that were browner, like you, Seth. There were some mm-hmm. lighter ones that looked like Travis. But mm-hmm. my family always contained all these different colors. Mm-hmm. It was coming upon a sort of political sensibility about it. The you would watch girls in our community and even lighter boys be seen as be- more beautiful or more handsome, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a saying that I remember hearing very recently in Harlem, and I wish I would have just jumped into this conversation. Was at a cafe, but they would say, "Boy, light skinned boys are out. You know, brown skinned boys are in." Mm. I've heard that my life as a teenager. So there were always mm. these sort of moments that. Um, on the surface seemed pretty simple, but obviously had a deeper meaning. Mm-hmm. And so let's skip a few years, let's go a couple decades. I'm at Clark Atlanta University and processing collections, Clark Atlanta University's um, special collections and archives section. I'm processing the collection called the College Language Association. The College Language Association, in short, were black people who weren't able to participate in the Modern Language Association. Uh, okay. And so they founded their own. So. Okay. I'm going through the photographs and year what after year, year after year after year. Steven, year. Just, hmm? not to, just a quick question. What year were uh, blacks allowed into the MLA? I have no idea. Uh, no, I'm, okay. I'm assuming probably maybe in the 50s. Right. You know, there might have right, been right. people who've been in both organizations, but that's a very good question. Right. I think right. I never knew right. based on the records that I was going through in terms of the College Language Association. Um, and right. so, in short, year after year after year, their um, group photos were a bunch of light-skinned people. <laughs> mm, I'm assuming teachers, wow. scholars, professors, all of that, right? Then wow. one year, this woman named Helen Armstead Johnson shows up, and she's brown. And she's got mm. her, um, you know, she's, it's, she's, it looks, she, I imbue a sense of proudness that she's in mm. this group, right? Mm-hmm. But I remember being struck by it and going, oh, okay, okay. And I started noticing it with other kinds of black organizations as well, as well as the, um, people who end up being leaders in the um, different aspects of the community. So mm-hmm. that color mm-hmm. thing is strong. It's very, mm-hmm. very strong. But, but it's also like any other sort of history. I've been fortunate enough to work at the Schomburg for about 20 years, and mm-hmm. I would see more 
I'd see more mm. than just the light-skinned representatives of the U.S. community or even in the Caribbean or even in Africa. Mm. I'd see mm-hmm. different um, shades of people, but also I had more, um, more of a palette to choose from in terms of how people were organizing and I think a more thoughtful way of engaging it. So mm. I never felt like I wasn't a part of the black community or even the hum- human community. What I felt were the injustices and the colorism and the favors that were playing and also just being in and out of favor, <laughs> depending mm. on who was talking to me. There'll be people talking to me and there's a brown man standing next to me. And sometimes I used to wonder, is it because he's brown that you're not addressing him or just a rude human mm. being? Mm. You know, and so it's happened to me a couple of times with a good friend of mine named Sean. Really, we'll just go. Mm. I'm like, you know, there's a person saying, "I'm I've just introduced you to this person. Why are you still talking totally to right. me?" Right. You know, particularly when that you guys have weird. similar interest. So right. yeah. a long way around it. I I continue to experience it, but I don't give it much. I don't. Get, I, I'm not as um, sadly surprised by it. <laughs> Um, mm. And since I'm a lighter skinned person, I've been thinking about other ways to to code um, color because mm. of the proximity to whiteness bothers me. One mm-hmm. light, dark, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just it's just like a waste of energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I want I, don't, I want my love to be larger, and mm. I want my brain to think more about these things without being caught in the nettles of it. You know, of mm-hmm. terrible ideas. Mm-hmm. That's it. So, yeah. so, so I have a question for Travis, if I may. Sure, but but sure. you wanted to say something, I, I suspect. Uh, well, I, I'm fine with the question. I was just going to say, uh, I was going to ask two uh, quick questions. Um, do you have you noticed a change in that uh, in contemporary society? So, for me, on I don't mean like from just kind of run of the mill. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm you know, white folks that you would run into in your everyday life. I mean, within the black community, it it would seem hard to me, you know, not being a member of the black community, <laughs> difficult to m- sustain that type of uh, distinction amongst black people, given just the types of conversations that happen around race in general. Or is that just, you know, is that just not the case? And it's still very much... Um, uh, different shades are celebrated over others. I think it's class-based. Yeah. I think I run in rarefied spaces where people are actually thinking about these things. Mm. And so I'm meeting up with people who are actually talking about this. I'm not sure what somebody in Chicago on the South Side thinks about these things because mm-hmm. of the voices um, that people have. But if the memes can be an indication, I think things are mm. pretty much the same. I don't see a lot of progress. Okay. Yeah, okay. So so I can give a, a really quotidian example. I was mm-hmm. watching Desus and Mero the other day. Mm-hmm. So Because when I, typically when I eat lunch, sometimes when I eat dinner, I'll just go on YouTube and watch random ass videos. Desus mm-hmm. and Mero are pretty funny. I find their talk sometimes difficult to follow, but they're generally funny and they're very topical. So they'll mm-hmm. say, they'll, they'll roast some like, um, celebrity for saying something silly. And then they'll cut to um, taking someone like Anna Kendrick around the South Bronx to show what the South Bronx is like. And then they'll do, you know, they, 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 they roam the cultural landscape. That, so that's mm-hmm. helpful to me to, um, it's helpful to me to watch them because I don't pay much attention to popular culture. Okay. So mm-hmm. long praise he to say, I watched Asus and Mera. Mm-hmm. 
There was an episode where they were talking about uh, DJ Envy, who runs this show, I think, on Hot 97, the morning show, where they interview various people who, again, I typically don't pay attention to, but mm-hmm. people in the hip-hop community, la, la, la. Apparently, DJ Envy had cheated on his wife at some point, got caught, went on some talk show to like do a mea culpa with the wife and these mm-hmm. four women. It was something like The View, for, except the women are younger and whatever. Um, so... Daisy Zamero are talking about this clip, and then they show the clip of him working stuff out with his wife in, in the company of these four women. And then they cut to when DJ Envy, the guy who I just explained had an mm-hmm. affair. and I'm still with a, you. I'm right. with you. Okay. I don't know any of these people, but I'm with you. Right. <laughs> um, they showed a clip of DJ Envy inviting Daisy Zamero onto his show in the morning okay. to like interview them about whatever, whatever. And uh, in introducing them, he says something like he's like he's clearly pissed at them. He's clearly angry, um, annoyed. Because, and I think it's because of the segment that he did where they made fun of him and his wife. Mm-hmm. 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 And he says something like he introduces him to something like here's um, Desu Samero, uh, a.k.a. Dickhead and something pussy something. And they were like, hey, whoa, what's going What's what? What's the deal? And, were, and he's like, yo, blah, blah, blah. I think you owe my wife an apology because you said that she went on that show just for the money and as, as blah, blah, blah. And um, and so they're doing this meta kind of critique, right? So they've showed mm-hmm. the clip of DJ Envy and his wife on this, the show, which is not The View, but something like that. Mm-hmm. The, the conversation, let's call it. And then they show the clip of them being on DJ Envy's show and him mm-hmm. getting angry at them, calling them out and demanding an apology. They apologize and he still walks out. He walks out of the set, leaving, mm-hmm. leaving uh, the conversation to carry on without him. And they cut back to them in the studio talking to each other. And I think it's Desus at some point says something, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and he's all in his light skin feelings. <laughs> I thought you were going there. Right. Mm. And the thing is, this is this is right now, right? Like these guys are at the cusp. They're on, they're on mm. that wave of conversations around race, ethnicity, sexuality, gender, power, la la mm. la. In a very funny way, you know, but that mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. that that's what they said. That's what he said. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, something, something mm-hmm. light skin feelings, as if to say, because he is a light skinned black man, he's going to Present Take himself. Umbridge right. very quickly. Right. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Like, yeah. and like, oh, he's going to, what, what, what is that? He's going to, um, he's going to faint dead away because. Yeah, like, Scarlett O'Hara or right, something. Yeah. Because, um, because his feelings were her. Like, that's batshit crazy. It's funny mm. because it's batshit crazy, but it's also mm. very much like something that people believe, right? Like, yeah. There's an right? investment it's in crazy. it. crazy. Yeah. There's yeah. investment. Yeah. They're dogs right. in that race. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Ridic- Man. And the only other thing I was going to throw in, you know, like, you know, tell you about, you know, mulatto and all this kind of stuff. In, in, in Louisiana, in New Orleans, they had like, uh, uh, come up, they came up with like 30 or 40 different ways of categorizing black people. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, it's if you go in there, it's just yeah. like, yeah. it's crazy. It's yeah. like really, actually, I wish people could see it. It's actually like crazy. Like, yeah. to, to imagine, to a, 
Yeah, yes. like to imagine yes. like these people, they go off to their schools and they, you know, they study med and these are like doctors and everything. And they're like, you know, they're sitting down over cigars and whores or whatever. And like, well, you know, I think if it's this shade, we should, I mean, it's just. It's batshit crazy. Wow. And that wasn't that long ago. It was like a hundred, you know, hundred and change, 140, yeah. 100, 120, something like that. The so, artists like, um, I forget her um, her name will come to me in a moment. She's a photographer who would even work with grades of hair, right? The colorism, mm. the grades of hair, and do exhibi- mm. exhibitions around it. And mm-hmm. it, it, it's just fascinating to me. But it, yeah, like I said, yeah. but it's the carnival <laughs> of racism and race mm-hmm. in the U.S. Mm. But also mm. there, there are definitely connections to it in the Caribbean, even in Africa. When I was in Ghana, I remember seeing mm. nothing but white people in ads in Accra until I happened upon one with a black woman doing a Mentos mm. ad. And I was like, mm. these people don't look like those people in the ad. Mm. What the fuck is that? Notwithstanding mm. the Jesus, which was also white, of course. But I was like, what's happening here? Mm-hmm. And I spent nine days in that country just looking and trying to pick up as much as I could. So that says yeah. something. You know, I'm not sure what yeah. that means, but it says something. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't say anything good. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. <laughs> um, so anyway, so Seth, I'm sorry. You, I don't. I didn't mean to I, to interrupt your question. Not at all. Not at all. Um, so the question I have for you, Travis, is: I know, having known you for a long time. Um, wow, it's probably like 20 years we've known each other. Wow. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> Steven's clapping. Um, <laughs> Anybody uh, can stand each other for twenty years, be friends, still develop, grow. That's a, that's cause for celebration. You know, I agree. <laughs> you didn't agree cancel each that. other. Ah. I, I, it's true. That's, that's right. It's true. We that's didn't right. we didn't ghost each other. <laughs> um, I know. I have a sense of how important it is to you for you to belong to a certain intellectual community, and I know mm-hmm. that you that you part of. Part, I mean, you the communities are kind of. Venn diagram overlap of academia and just people you've met who are on a particular spiritual um, growth, a uh, path of spiritual growth and other people. Mm. Um, but being part of that kind of intellectual community, people who take quite seriously their lives and the idea that their lives can be meaningful is really mm-hmm. important to you. Mm-hmm. My question is, was there a point in, or maybe, maybe the question is more like, what was the point because you're here now. What was the point in your youth? Can you identify the moment when you thought, oh, there are those people who are smart, who are saying things that are self-aware and introspective, that are searching, and I want to be among them. I want to be part of that community. Um, that's a really good question that I unfortunately am not going to have a great, I'm going to attempt an answer. I don't have a great answer for it. Um, I just, I'm trying to think sort of back to episodes uh, in my earlier life. I don't think, um, I don't think there would have been any real clue to that, at least not an obvious clue to that when I was in high school. Um, you know, I was, I played Dungeons and Dragons and, mm-hmm. you know, hung, it's not like, you know, I was r- really into any other thing than hanging out with my friends. You know, I didn't drink or anything like that. I, it's not that I was too straight laced. I just, um, I don't know. I didn't have an interest in it. I was still a kid in, in so many ways till a very uh, late age. Um, it, probably, um, 
the first inclination that I had an interest or affinity for something for things like um, poetry and poets and writers was probably my first job, which was at Disneyland. Hmm. And uh, I was uh, a custodial staff at Disneyland. The people that I don't know if you guys have uh, have either one of you been to Disneyland? I've been to Disney World, not Disneyland. Okay. Right, so. I think I've been to no, not Disney. What's the other one out there? Disney. In California, yeah, there's or? some sort of theme park out there that I went to. Not Knott's Berry Farm, maybe Magic Mountain, Universal Studios. Is that it? Universal Studios, yeah, that's, that's where I went. One, yeah, yeah so, I always complain yeah, the two. So. I'm like, did I go to Disneyland? Did I see Mickey Mouse? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and I wore. Uh, they have custodial staff at Disneyland. They wear all white, and you walk around and you you know sweep trash up and empty the garbage and stuff. Mm-hmm. That was my that was my job, mm-hmm. uh, and I hated my job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the the worst part of my job was you had to do this thing, this thing called back sweeping the lines. So you would have to walk backwards through the lines in between the people and sweep up the trash. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was I was really um, shy and self conscious. And of course, all the the teenagers that were there, I was about their age, so you know they would you know poke fun, not even in a just being normal. Oh, like, hey, you missed a piece of trash there. Hey, you you know, that kind of stuff. Um, And of course, which was just mortifying to me. Um, And so what I used to do to get through those shifts is I would memorize poems. Mm. Um, And I had, uh, there were just a couple of old books, you know, my parents had bought uh, encyclopedias when I was a kid because mm-hmm. they—that's what you're supposed to do for, and you know, an educated household. My parents thought, and so they had this whole set of encyclopedias and had these um, great books collection that went with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, so I just one day I grabbed a book off the shelf and I started memorizing the poems that were in there: uh, Wallace Stevens, shorter Wallace Stevens, mm-hmm. Edgar Allan Poe. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, T.S. Eliot, things like that. And I'd memorize them and I'd recite them se- to myself throughout the day mm-hmm. as I was doing my job mm-hmm. uh, because it would take me somewhere else, mm-hmm. right? I wouldn't be there mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. sweeping up trash uh, mm-hmm. at Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, and then I took that with me. So that was a summer job before I went to community college. And I took that with me into the community college, and that affected my course selection. Like, oh, you know, I want to take this instead of just doing composition. I want to do this class on literature, um, and so it was really, and you know, and then it was sort of off. And then you meet other people in the classes that were, to be clear, way ahead of me as far as like thing. I just knew from this book that happened to be on the shelf, you know, that was like a random poetry collection. And then you meet all these other people that. You know, they've read, you know, 200 books by the time they're, you know, 19 or something like that. And uh, and so and then I met people like that and fell into good conversations and met interesting people. And and from there was sustained by by relationships with people. Uh, and that kind of charted, you know, and I met Seth along the way and uh, Avi was a, a part of that and Fareed and, and, you know, just other people, um, you know, and then you just develop you know, a meter for what sounds right to you. Mm. You know, you kind of, you know, you just sort of, you're con- you're constantly um, dropping depth charges, you know, mm. looking for stuff like, oh, does this one, does this, does this idea make sense? Does this idea make sense? Mm-hmm. Does this idea make sense? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So th- then luck, just, just chance. I don't know. Mm. I mean, you know, mm. you know, my parents hadn't bought an encyclopedia set. I mean, neither one of my, my parents, uh, my dad reads, but not that kind of stuff, you know, mostly historical mm. fiction about Patton and things like that. And my dad likes to read, but, mm. um, yeah. 
Yeah. Hi, this is uh, C. Travis Webb, editor of The American Age. And you might notice something slightly different about today's podcast. We actually had a pretty long conversation following what you just heard. And in order to keep with our, you know, ballpark of 30 minutes or less, we decided to split the conversation into two parts. So uh, we're going to end the conversation there for this week. Uh, And next week, uh, there's going to be a part two, but an actual uh, legitimate part two continuation of the conversation. I'll just pick right back up from where we were. Um, And we thank you for listening and hope you'll join us next week. 